got to see a little bit of Mary uh, on Christmas Eve. If you're with us that night when the shepherds came and visited them uh, that night that uh, Jesus was born. And we were left with Luke 2.19, which is also printed for you there. This, we, we were left with Mary's response as she treasured and pondered. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. This, uh, you know, she was pondering perhaps what all this was going to lead to, where all this would go. <laughs> We've got two other passages here that we're going to work through in a moment, but actually, I want to start by taking us to the end, <laughs> in a sense. Have you, you know, those movies or TV episodes where the the movie or show will start at the end? It just opens up with this sort of climactic, intense, harrowing scene. And you wonder, how did we get there? How did they get there? How, how, how are we going to get to this point? And then the, the, the movie or the story goes back to the beginning and walks you to that moment. I don't know if you've seen a movie or show like that lately, but I want to take us to the end first. So John 19, 23 to 25. This isn't printed for you. I'll just read it, put it before us as the end. Uh, in a sense of Mary's story. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots uh, for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Can you imagine being a mama? Mama's out there, standing there in that moment. I take, her to the, take us to the end of the story to, to, to then walk us back there through her story to see what she treasured and pondered that, was give, that gave her an ability to be present there in that moment at the cross. So let's go back to the beginning now. I'll read from Luke 1, 26 to 38. This and also the passages I've read so far are in, uh, God's inerrant and infallible word. Here from Luke 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to, to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him Give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And all his kingdom there will be, uh, to all, of all his kingdom there will be no end. <clears throat> Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son 
And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, asking God to lead us in this time in his word. Father, as we study this story of redemption that is, uh, that is drawn through the, the history of, of your creation, the history of time, your world that you have made, that you entered into, as we come now to Mary's story, pray that you would teach us, help us to see what the story points to, which is your son, Jesus. May we behold him and be in awe of him together this morning. We pray in his powerful name. Amen. The, in the spring of 1815, Captain James Riley set sail with his crew aboard the Commerce from port in Connecticut, bound for trade in the Canary Islands. Uh, he didn't know that he would find himself bound for a rock on the western Saharan coast that would dash his ships and dash his plans. They sailed first to Spain, uh, where they ported for a couple of weeks, and then left out for the Canaries. As they rounded the Moroccan coastline, there exists there a uh, sort of current funnel between the, the Cape, uh, the coast there, and the Canary Islands themselves that uh, is so strong you can't row against it, and in fact, large fish get swept up into its movement. Um, and, Little did Riley know that he had been swept up in this current one night, and he missed his planned direction to make his way around to the islands, but got swept up in it instead. They found themselves going along uh, in, and swept up basically into a, what, what in a real sense was, was an unstoppable force that would eventually meet an immovable object, <laughs> the rock on the Saharan coastline. Uh, it was a shipwreck. <laughs> and from there, it's a harrowing story of survival in the Saharan desert, which would kind of digress us from this story at hand, Mary's story. But in this announcement text, where Mary hears this announcement from Gabriel, she, in a very real sense, was swept up in, into a, in an unstoppable force. It was unstoppable, unstoppable because it was set in motion before the fabric of time. It was unstoppable because it came out of the heart of God to re rescue and redeem his people. <laughs> it was unstoppable, and it was recorded for us in Genesis 3. Really, that's where we see it mentioned the first time. It was when the human race, us, represented by Adam, decided that we thought we could run our own world, run our own lives, run our own stories, build our little kingdoms. <laughs> and God didn't show up and say, all right, I'm going to crush the human race. As far from that, he said, no, I'm going to save it. I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to bring them back. The rest of the story is that unfolding journey. But it wouldn't, have, it wouldn't be without pain uh, for man. It was toil and his work. <laughs> For women, it was multiplied pain and childbirth. Sorry, mamas. 
but how true that would be. Certainly there's the, certainly there's the pain of actual childbirth itself, right? But what about the pain, uh, a mother's pain of watching your child sometimes go through hard things, suffer? Mary had to watch that too, you know? But this unstoppable force from the beginning of time ran through many people, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, David, many, many others, and it would come all the way down to us today. And yet culturally and individually, we don't always see God and his redemptive movement in this way as an unstoppable force. We at times see Christianity more as a a proposal or a sales pitch or a service provider that we work with as long as it works for us and the cost doesn't get too great. Or maybe like a, like a gym membership that shows us a program to realize our best potential. Or maybe, uh, sometimes we ask of it, you know, show me the, the pros and cons. You know, let me, let me weigh this out and decide if it works for me. But as this line of Jesus comes down through history to us, do we see that it's something that changes the very course of our lives? It did for Mary. And that's what Mary's story is showing us. That Jesus' redemptive story is something irresistibly powerful and overwhelmingly redemptive. Mary gets swept up in it. Did you notice that the angel didn't actually ask her if she wanted to do this? <laughs> Gabriel didn't ask her. He announced news. And he said, favored one. And that verb is in the passive voice, which means it happened to her. Favor was given to her. She didn't earn it. He said, you, it's like grace. <laughs> You've been graced by God. We tend to, maybe, I don't know, some, maybe there's circles that holds Mary up a little too high, and maybe some that maybe don't hold her up enough. I don't know where we are, where you are with that, but she's like us. She's just like us. In fact, she was probably about 15 at the time. So high school girls here, can you imagine getting an announcement like that? She was probably about 15 in a small town doing very ordinary things like us. And her, her reaction to the angel's announcement is in some ways like us too because she's troubled, she's fearful, she questions and doubts. She does surrender along the way. So let's, let's talk about that first. Let's talk about how she's swept up into this force and what that actually looks like and what it can look like for us because the same movement comes to us. So with this idea of being troubled, God, the, the angel comes to her and says, favored one, you found favor with God. And she's troubled by that and she tries to discern what sort of greeting this is. But I want to make a point here for a second that God doesn't treat us, her or us, like robots. Yes, it was an unstoppable force, but there's engagement, there's dialogue, there's questions. Space is held open for her to wrestle with this. It's yet another way we see the kindness of God. But she's troubled. This announcement comes, and she doesn't go, Oh, Gabriel, this is, I can't wait, let's do this. Come on. 
It's not, it's not that at all. She's troubled. It's the same word, actually, that's used when Herod hears the announcement of a new king in town. He's troubled. It's not excitement and joy at the beginning. It's a, whoa, what is going on? And this word for trying to discern what sort of greeting this is, it's the word we would get. The, it's, it's similar to our word dialogue. She didn't blindly jump in. She's trying to figure it out. Who, who me? Favor? Why? How? What what are you going to do to me? So she's wrestling with this. And the angel told her that she would have a son. And not just a son, but the son of God. So then she doubts. She's like, how how could this be? I'm a virgin. How's this going to work? How's he going to be God? Now there's, uh, there's camps out there that would say... Be suspicious of everything, trust nothing, doubt everything. And then there are camps out there that would say, you can't doubt because if you doubt, that means you don't have faith. This is neither of those things. There's a kind of doubt that is good and welcomed by God. And there's a kind that's not. Because, you know, actually the announcement, Zechariah, just before this interaction with Mary, you know, Zechariah got an announcement from an angel that, he, that his wife was going to have a son, John the Baptist. And he doubts too. But he's, he's, he says something slightly differently. Because how will I know this? Mary's was, how could this be? What's the difference? Well, you know, Zacharias, the angel said, you're not going to be able to speak until the baby's born. It was not an approval. It was not a doubt that was approval. What's the difference? Zacharias was seemed to be a self-focused, closed-minded doubt. A sort of like, how how will I know this? You know, prove it to me. This this isn't possible. I don't. Uh-uh. No. But Mary's is like open-minded, learning, teachable. How how could this be? You know, this is what I see. I don't see how this is going to work. And the angel holds space for her to wrestle with that open-minded it's a teachable spirit i would venture to say that if we have not wrestled with doubt and questions perhaps we have not taken the claims of christ all that seriously perhaps we have just checked a box god holds space for us to have questions and doubt and struggle with it he just asks for a willing teachable spirit and also this process that Mary goes through is a, is a process. She doesn't, when she surrenders here, and we're going to talk about her surrender, but when she surrenders, said, I'm the Lord's servant, it's not like she had it all figured out and knew exactly what she was getting into. In fact, she continued to struggle at times with Jesus' ministry as an adult. There was a moment in Mark 3 where Jesus was teaching and people were coming and showing up at his house. And it said it, it, when the, the disciples gathered that Jesus' family came out to seize him because they thought he was crazy. Mary didn't fully understand still, even then. And I would again venture to say that if if you've never come to a point in hearing Jesus and his claims and who he is and had moments of thinking, this sounds crazy, then again, maybe you haven't wrestled with it truly. (laughs) The gospel is scandalous. How How could I be forgiven? What? But she does come to a place of surrender. It's not 
It's not blind surrender, though. I would call it maybe relational surrender. A transfer of trust. Let's consider her surrender for a moment. You know, we tend to, we tend to be good with surrender if we can surrender to a Jesus of our own making. But that's really no surrender at all. Maybe it's just surrender to, to our own plans. But think about what Mary was surrendering to. You're going to have a baby out of wedlock in a society that frowns very heavily upon that. <laughs> you know, nowadays that might start some gossip or rumor or something like that. But then it was potentially a death sentence for her. Certainly a societal blacklisting. As much as American cultural Christianity has taught us, becoming a Christian isn't like finding the best service provider in town who can put on the best programs or supply my needs as long as the cost isn't too great. Becoming a Christian is like being swept up in an unstoppable force, but one you can have a relationship with that knows and loves you deeply. And that's why we eventually find Mary in awe and in worship. You know, the next, we're not going to have time to get to this, but she goes to visit Elizabeth, and then there's a recorded song that she wrote. She worshiped God for his goodness. There was awe and worship and wonder. Deciding whether Christianity works for us, sort of weighing it out. It might bring some obedience, but it will not bring awe. Surrender brings awe. When we give everything over, when we give everything over, when all of our trust is transferred over to Christ, we, that's when awe comes. But to be clear, there will still be at times resistant, resistance to Christ, actually both internally and externally. Because there's still a battle going on inside us as well as outside of us. And it's because we're brought either way to the immovable object, which takes us to the next passage printed for you in Luke 2, 25 to 35. I'll put it before us now. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him and, he had been revealed, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought the, in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Do you imagine receiving that kind of word about your child as a, as a baby? I think you as uh, 
according to the commentaries, he was probably about 40 days old. You know, you're walking in with your child, and you hear that he's going to be appointed for the rising and falling of many, that uh, that'll be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. You imagine hearing that. He's actually, it's a reference to Isaiah 8, verse 14. He, the Messiah, the promised one, will become a sanctuary to some, and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to others. Jesus quoted that about himself when he was telling the Pharisees the parable of the tenant uh, of the vineyard, you know, where the vineyard was planted and it was leased out to tenants to work it. And then the owner sent servants to come and get some of the uh, fruits of their labor and they killed the servant and they killed the servant and then they finally, the owner sent his son. Surely they'll respect my son and they killed the, the, the son as the heir. He was quoting that to the religious folks of the day and basically saying, you're going to trip over and be crushed by the very thing you were meant to be looking out for and placing your hope in. He, Jesus, is the immovable object that we're brought to. An unstoppable force is really just an immovable object in motion. And an immovable object is an unstoppable force at rest. I think you can check that out with your physics teachers. I think it'll check out. If not, you can come and correct me later. But they're the same thing. Only God is a truly unstoppable force and an immovable object. Something's going to get dashed between the two. You see, we've said that the Christian life is one of surrender. But we all come into this world as self-appointed, self-sovereigns. I, I, I rule my little kingdom. You know, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. I'll, I'll be in charge of mine. But we were never meant to rule ourselves. And Christ brings us to a place of peace by transferring our sovereignty over to him. But if we want... If we won't do that, our little personal kingdoms will be dashed upon the rocks. You can't keep it. Every day I wake up and the battle begins in my heart. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Every day we wake up and, think, and, and we're tempted to run our own world. We're tempted to run our own kingdom or protect our own kingdom. And we see threats come at it and we try to keep it out. Or we try to promote ourselves. It happens to us every day. For those of us who are in Christ, those of us who are not, it's the battle over our hearts. Will we fight for our kingdom or will we surrender again to the reign of Christ? It's something we do in our conversion, but it is something that we continue to do every single day. I'm going to quote a favorite poet slash songwriter of mine, Josh Gerald. How long did I fool myself, believing I didn't need nobody's help? A fool trust in his power and his wealth, till it brought him down low unto a shadow of himself. The arrow was sent to intervene. It pierced my bones and shook me from my dream. Lord, you know exactly what I need. Wounds from a friend, a severe mercy. Now I'm looking for the higher power to be my mighty tower, Save me from myself. You ever prayed that? Like, I think I need to pray that every day. Save me from myself. 
But something even more amazing happens when we transfer trust over to Christ. It's not merely that we're able to put a, surrender our little personal kingdoms. You remember where we began? We began at the end, the end of Mary's story. Simeon told her that a, a sword would pierce her own soul too. What could be more soul-piercing than standing watching your son hang on the cross? Imagine the scene. He's struggling for breath, his last few breaths. The sky's darkening. The important religious folks have come by, and instead of ministering to you, they've mocked him. The thief on one side has mocked him. People say, save yourself, you fool. And maybe Mary on the inside is sort of thinking the same thing. Son, I've watched you do miracles. Why can't you just save yourself? Why do you have to do this? And the other thief on the other side, hey, when you come into your kingdom, could you just remember me? Sometimes I just want to say that, Lord Jesus, will you just remember me? She pondered all of these things that had happened, and it brought her and him to this point. And she's run through over the pain of watching the weight of sin fall completely on her son. And she's undone, I'm sure. I'm sure she was undone. Can we stand next to Mary in that moment and be undone over what it cost for him to stay on that cross? That it cost my sin? That my sin held him up there? Jesus was the one who was truly dashed on the rocks. He was crushed for our iniquities. But you see, he wasn't just Mary's son. He was God's son. God the Father dashed his son on the rocks for me, for you. The Father crushed the son on the rocks for our mutiny. We're going to sing this in just a bit. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns his face away, as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Have you been swept up into the unstoppable force? The redemptive story that God has, has written and is writing? Has he brought you to the immovable object of the cross of Christ? Yeah, it might cost you everything. It might cost your dreams, your plans, your agenda. All may be dashed on the rock of Christ. But you'll stand on that rock, held up by it, standing firm for all eternity. <laughs> you see, the rock is no cold, hard thing, but a very loving and alive person. And his name is Jesus. Will you surrender to him? Father in heaven, as we consider Mary's story, we consider the, the pain of 
what she must have felt feeling run through as she watched her son hang on the cross. Father, we know that that was also your son who was run through for our sin. As you sweep us up into the movement of your redemption and you bring us to the cross, I pray that we would see it afresh, that we would be able to once again surrender all to it, to him, to to your son. I pray for anyone here this morning who is struggling with surrender. Lord, you, you hold space for us to struggle, to wrestle, to doubt, to question. Would you bring us there nonetheless? Give us faith to surrender all, to transfer our trust over to you completely. For your glory and for our good. Amen.